like I just said. Um, we're just going to press record and fuck around and find out. None of neither of us know what we're doing, and I'm pretty sure at this point everyone very much expects that. I can work with that. <laughs> it's uh, pretty much just how I've lived my life for the last 38 years. Yeah, same. <laughs> it's worked <laughs> out so far. More or less. How's your week been? Uh, pretty cruisy, man. I'm on uh, like Christmas break and all that kind of shit, so just sort of cruising a little bit, taking things a bit slower, which has been nice. Yeah. Have you been training? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about that. I, uh, uh, so I had my final week of this block, which included some heavy good mornings. Mm -hmm. uh, that was a bit of fun, but I'm certainly feeling them today, probably more than I would have liked to. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, I, that set of good mornings was very impressive. Thank you. It was like, I remember the first time I squatted or deadlifted 200 for 10, I was like, that, that's, that's pretty good. Like, that's a, it's a big set. So I think to sort of be able to come in and do that with good mornings to pins as well. Mm, with um, a safety bar too. Yeah. Um, I think that was kind of a really good place to finish up at the end of the sort of like the rehab block mm. um, that I sort of had to work with. Yeah. So what were you rehabbing? Because I, I saw that, but I actually don't think I've even spoke to you about you being hurt. I think you just glossed over that. So I'm pretty sure it was like a sprained facet joint. Mm -hmm. um, but honestly, man, like, who knows? Like, I'm, uh, I'm in like a weird position where like I live pretty far away from all my typical people that I would usually go and see and just like, availability of people it was just like it was like oh well it kind of hurts and i know it feels better and i know what i've done in the past i'll just start doing that now um and just booking with someone as soon as i can so by the time i actually got in to see anyone about it it wasn't really sore anymore i was just like oh well this is what i did and this is what i've been doing to try and get better but it seems to be working because i'm not as sore anymore and they're like well we can't really go back and assess it then so just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> and did you hurt at training? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I was I was warming up and it just like like nothing felt bad, but it was just one of those days where it was like things just didn't feel like they were clicking. Mm -hmm. Um and I had my like second last warm-up at 220. And as I got to my knee, it was just a little pop, and I was like, oh my. And I stood up with it and I was like, oh, I'm not sure if I've hurt myself on that one. Put it back on the ground. And then once I let go of the bar and started to stand up again, that's when I was like, oh, no, 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 I've definitely hurt myself. Yeah. But if I look, I mean, like I did it, I did that uh, in March, not long after I moved up um, to you guys. And then mm -hmm. pretty much in the last like, three years i've had it flare up a couple of times when like stress has been really really high mm -hmm. um but for the most part it's just been not an issue so was this a was this a new injury or was it just a flare-up of that one that you had when you were here 
no, so I think all of these kind of stem back to the one that I had when I was like the original one. Like I would have been like 12 or 13, um, where I ended up in the hospital with like a suspected broken back. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as what the actual diagnosis was on that original injury, like I couldn't, I couldn't yeah. tell you. Yeah. I landed on the ground and I didn't get back up. <laughs> so that's pretty interesting because that's obviously obviously a good morning and a safety bar good morning to pins is going to be something that really heavily exposes that you would think right so like to yeah. then to then go in how many weeks later uh so the original injury or the, the, the flare-up flare up was cup weekend so like the second of november or something like that or whenever it was yeah okay so say two and a half months yeah well Ish. yeah oh not not even not even two months six seven weeks yeah okay to then go and do an all-time PR set, 200 times 10 good mornings. Yep. That's pretty good. So, I mean, so- I mean like, like, obviously, having trained for as long as I have, like, I know my body incredibly well, like, when I can push and when I need to pull back. And obviously, not being in any sort of comp prep at the moment, I've got the freedom to, to push and pull as much as needed. Um. Like, obviously, that speed is not something I would usually recommend for most people. Right. Um, but I also feel like at a certain point, you you earn a little bit of autonomy to sort of go, well, if I hurt myself again, then I'm the fucking idiot that chose to do this. And, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of – that's how, I, like, for me, like, it's obviously very different. If I'm working with a client that's in a rehab um pattern then i'm like well no you like you stick to the plan you don't overshoot you you be sensible and to be fair like i've got you know a lot of my friends that are you know pretty top tier level powerlifters here in australia um they will quite often push their rehab process and it's not long before they get hurt mm-hmm. like i look at how i pulled up saying like i reckon if i'd actually pushed for the extra few reps that i probably had in the tank for that Mm-hmm. I probably would have gotten really hurt. Like yesterday afternoon, I was like, oh, fuck, I'm stiff. Like mm. I can just feel like the the tendons and ligaments through like my pelvis and all that sort of area just being like, oh, what did you do? <laughs> so I could kind of feel I was like getting to a point where it's like, yes, I am flirting with the limit there before an injury potentially would have shown up. Yeah. But then that's also like pretty indicative to me that like the next two weeks for me, I'm probably going to be deloading anyway, just to allow things time to really settle down, get some movement going in again, and then start another base building process. Yeah. This is completely not how, this is not the direction that we're going to take this at all, but I like it because I think it's interesting and we're just going to keep rolling with it. And we knew this was going to happen. So (laughs) um, (laughs) I'm really interested to keep talking about this because this is something that, I've personally found with my training at the moment as well with my knee being quite jacked up um, from just years and years and years of having no ACL and severe instability in that joint, uh, developing really bad tricompartmental degenerative disease or, you know, osteoarthritis in the joint 
um, and still having the instability. So it moves a lot. It hurts a lot. It aches all the time. Sharp pains when it's not aching, it feels like someone's stabbing it. Um, it's, it's honestly a horrible experience every moment of my life, but the option is to not do anything or to find out what you can do and work around it. And one thing that I've found over the last, well, this training block really is that I started really conservative with deadlifts, um, because they were something that did aggravate it in some positions especially when I wedged in really hard and was trying to be explosive off the ground that tended to aggravate it more than, than a lot of things. So what I did was dial the weight right back. And I knew like I started at week one was at 180 for a triple, um, which for me is very, very conservative. Mm-hmm. And then it, it, it might've seemed like I was taking huge jumps each week. I think like from week one to week two, I took a 25 kilo I did a 20 kilo jump and then a 25 kilo jump and then another 15 kilo jump to where each week it felt like, um, uh, you know, you were saying last night you felt like your tendons and your joints were like sore or not sore, but like fatigued almost. And you could feel them. That's kind of what my knee feels like after those deadlift sessions is it's not hurting it doesn't feel like I've hurt it or injured it, but it feels really tired. Like my joint just feels tired. The tendons and the ligaments feel tired. It feels a little bit more unstable than usual. And I, it feels like I have to be a little bit more careful for 24 to 48 hours with the movements that I make or something might happen. But then it come back a week later, it's stronger. I can push it a little bit harder and then I get that same fatigue feeling. And I think that's, I think that's quite similar to what you were just saying there is to not push it all the way to the limit right out of the gate. Give your time, yeah. give yourself time to make those adaptations. Well, I mean, like you were sort of saying that you started your deadlifts at like 180 for a triple, which again for you is incredibly conservative. Mm. I started my good mornings at 100 kilos. Mm. Like yeah. that was, I think, like four or five weeks ago. I did, I think it was like sets of like six to eight. And I was like, oh, if I can do that at 100 kilos. Like, I'll be pretty happy with that. And it felt really good. And then it was like, oh, the next week I'll try like 110. That felt really good. So like, I'll try 120 for another set. And I think just like, and again, I think it depends on the person, what their their training age age is as well. Like, you know, how long have you been training for? I started lifting weights when I was 12 years old. Yeah. So you've, you've got a couple of years under your belt. Yeah. Um, I'm only only 20 at the moment, so... Yeah, so almost half of your life. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, so what, 38 minus 12, so... 26. It's a long time. Yeah. Um, Like, that's, I would imagine, is probably going to be older than some of the people that are going to listen to this are going to be. So, Mm -hmm. like, I kind of look at it, and again, depending on, like, again, like, just for the sake of clarity, like, I'm not a physio, like, I'm not... I'm not qualified to diagnose people's injuries, but I am also qualified to know that like how I can handle and rehab my injuries specific to myself because I've had a lot of them. Like, mm. um, you know, like obviously I'm not going to sit there and go, oh, well, I've definitely done this, this, and this. But, but as you were saying earlier, it's like, well, what feels good? What can you do? 
and what what flares it up because the things that flare it up you're probably going to stay away from for a little bit and the mm-hmm. things that feel good you're probably going to do a lot of at the moment like i remember um a physio that i would see for like anytime i was prepping for a comp like i would religiously go and see him every like three to four weeks i'd go in get a bunch of dry needling done any injury that was kind of like rearing its head i'd be like yep this is what's going on like can you help me like identify why and then give me my rehab protocols to work with it because he knew that if he was gonna be like well this is flaring up i need you to take like four to six weeks rest as a lot of physios or a lot of allied health would tell people to do Mm -hmm. he knows that i'm not gonna do it he knows i'm gonna keep going in training so he's like well instead of working against you i may as well work with you and just kind of give you framework to work with and i think that is a really beneficial and necessary thing for some athletes to be able to work with. It's like the people that can regulate within those boundaries mm-hmm. and go, yeah, things aren't feeling great. I'm going to pull it back. Whereas you get some people that are so hyper fixated on must be better, must improve, must progress. Right, right, right. And they just, they can't stop and sit or potentially move backwards. I think those people are the ones that's like, no, 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 no. You don't get the, the freedom because every time you get freedom, you fuck it up. Yeah, I think it's important to clarify too, though, like it, w- what progression can mean. And it doesn't just mean more weight on the bar each week or you know more kilos on the scale each week or whatever it is. And look, I'll be, I'll be the first to put my hand up. I've fallen into that trap so many fucking times. Dude, it, we all fucking have. Like, and I still, I still have to pull myself up on it now and be like, no, dude, don't be an idiot. This is it is still progressing. It doesn't have to be more weight, or it doesn't have to be X, or it doesn't have to be Y. It can just be like you know, one of the things that that I did um, when I designed this block for me specifically around the knee was I had the goal that I wanted that I thought was very achievable to finish this block with a two hundred and sixty kilo deficit paused triple deadlift for no other reason than the fact that I thought it would be cool. And my ultimate goal is to do a 300 kilo deficit pause triple and 260 is pretty close to that. And I thought if I can do that by the end of this block, maybe in two or three blocks time, that 300 might be on the cards, bad knee and and all. But what I, what I did then was I thought, okay, so like maybe a regular progression scheme might be add five to 10 kilos a week. So if I then reverse that, that should have me starting much, much heavier than what I actually did start. And then I thought, ooh, I just don't know if that's a good idea with you know how banged up I am at the moment. Maybe another option would be is if I start much lower, give myself that exposure and then just take bigger jumps when I feel like I'm comfortable to do so, which I've done and it seems to be working perfectly. Yeah, but I feel like as well, like starting a little bit lighter and sort of like you build confidence. Hmm. And as much as confidence isn't the be all and end all of lifting a heavy weight, it's also a really big part of it. Like if you're going in with a little bit of nervousness around it, you're more likely to do something that you shouldn't be doing because you're like, oh, I'm rehabbing, Hmm. but I'm nervous. So I'm going to try and do something else. And then you're more likely to hurt yourself down the track anyway. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're starting like that 180, like oh, 180, like it, it barely registers, I'm going to go 200 next week. Like there would be people that would go 
geez, that's a big jump. But at the end of the day as well, what, 180 to 200, it's just over 10%. Yeah. It's not like, and this is where like, I look at, like I've got some of like my lightweight female lifters that might go from like, they've hit 50 for, on their bench and they jump to 55. Now you and I would sit there and go, oh, it's a five kilo jump on bench. It's not a huge amount, but for them, it's a 10% increase. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't like, say that, mate. I took a, I took a 2.5 kilo jump from my second to third at nationals and missed it. <laughs> yeah. I That's know. a big jump, mate. Trust <laughs> me. <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? Like if we're looking at, like sometimes we'll look at absolute right on the bar and go, oh, well, it's a 20 kilo jump. It's massive. But if you are Jamal Browner and you're going from, you know, a 350 deadlift to a 400 kilo deadlift, it's probably not that big of a jump for him. Mm. Like it's probably yeah. doable. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is a guy who pulls 500. Like, oh, yeah, 100%. And I've even noticed that uh, as I got stronger, even in, Predominantly in squats and deadlifts, um, because I, you know, let's just not talk about bench and pretend it doesn't exist. Is um, the stronger I got, the more the bigger jumps I took, even in like the warm up sets. You know, even to the point where I feel most comfortable now, just going like red plates, pretty much all the way up until the, the maybe even just the last warm up and taking a smaller jump from the last warm up to the working set. Well, I've always found for me, like my deadlifts in particular have always moved really well when I take big jumps. Like when I pulled 290, my warms on that day went 70, 120, 170, 220, 260, 290. Mm. Yeah. And that, I love that. That was, that was nice. But would I do that on comp day? Probably not as big and aggressive jumps, only because I feel like it just, I feel like, First to second, you can probably handle a moderate jump. And then I feel like second to third is either going to be a low to moderate jump. Hmm. Depending on how well-versed you are as a competitor, Hmm. what you've practiced in training before, what you know you can actually manage. Mm -hmm. Because again, like comp day fatigue is a whole other animal that very rarely get exposed to. Yeah, and I think... I think you probably hit the nail on the head with that um, with on comp day, especially with being how well-versed you are at competing and how comfortable you are at competing. I think that's just going to play a huge role in a lot of the decisions that you make on comp day, to be honest. Absolutely. Uh, you know, you've, like- got, you've got people that comp day to them is just a whole, a whole big experience and it's quite overwhelming and the nerves get the better of them. Um, even though, even it may be exciting, but it's still very nerve wracking. There's, there's a lot going on. Adrenaline is high for those types of people. You probably want to not do anything as crazy. Um, then also you've got, you've also got the people that like comp day is, it's just another day, you know, it's where they thrive. And for those people, maybe taking big jumps might be a good idea. Well, I feel like if the people that are getting like really overwhelmed and really stressed out about the event. I feel like they're probably the people that are more likely to make stupid mistakes. Uh, I don't mean that in a negative way. Like, I just mean like they're probably the people that are either going to like not wait for a call or rush something. So I think that for them is like, give them a way that they can still achieve a really good total in a day, still make them, you know, if going out and winning is the objective of the day, it's like you do what you have to do to secure the placing, 
or it's to secure the record or whatever it might be, but doing it in a way where there's room where they can still think and they're not completely switched off just trying to do the lift. Yep. Yeah, I like that. But We've gone way off track talking about... Um... <laughs> we knew this was going to happen. We knew this was going to happen, but that's okay. I think that was super interesting. But let's let's go back to you and mm-hmm. let's just do what we were going to do right at the start of this episode and just give people um, a little, like introduce yourself and then tell people how you started in fitness, what your journey's been to get to where you are now. I think that's what we we're going to talk about first. That was what we were supposed to start with. Yeah, but that's okay. Um, that was an interesting start. I like it. And hey, do you know what? Out. This is our fucking podcast, man. If you don't like it, don't listen. I don't even care. That's it. Um, so yeah, uh, obviously I'm Ben. Um, I'm about to enter my 13th year in the industry. Um, pretty much as what kind of like touched on like the injury that I had when I was a kid. Um, obviously like that kind of impacted, uh, my ability to like play sports, do life work, like a few other little bits and pieces that sort of like, you know, substantially impacted on. So my thing was always like, if I can, like, obviously like I went to the gym, I enjoy lifting weights. Um, and the whole cliche thing of like, if I can help people move better so that they're not in pain and they can ensure that they have a, a better quality of life, like that's what I want to be able to do. Um, obviously I didn't, go straight into powerlifting. Like I've always had a a natural desire to like draw towards strength training. And that's always been something I've had a real interest and passion for. Mm-hmm. Um, like I worked in a CrossFit gym for probably the first like, three or four years of my career. Um, moved to a little boutique personal training studio where I was at until pretty much uh, 2020 when the world shut down and cracked the shits. Yeah. Did you, um, coach, did you coach CrossFit in the CrossFit gym? uh a little bit and then i pretty just, much just rent the I, space I, I just pretty much rented the space i did the odd class here or there as kind of like a fill-in if they were like really desperate mm-hmm. um but my thing was like i kind of i didn't agree with some of the principles in terms of like the programming so like i would run like my like little semi-private groups like i said i had like five guys that i would train like five times a week um, and they got really, really good, really, really fast because I used just like tradi- traditional like strength conditioning principles. Um, and I had like the head coach of the gym come up to me. He's like, what are you doing with these guys, man? I'm like, <laughs> Not I'm just it. training them to get fucking better. And he's like, they're getting really good, really fast. And then I was asked to pretty much do the programming for the gym. Um, but pretty much I was asked to do it for free. And I laughed and pretty much told them to go fuck themselves. I said, I'm like, I'm, I'm happy to do it as a contra deal. So you can either just like essentially not charge me any rent to do my PT out of here, or I can just invoice you each week um, or for like X amount of months worth of programming. And we can just do it that way. Like how, how do you want to structure it? And he's like, Oh no, 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 no. Like this is something I was sort of expecting that you would just do for free. And I'm like, well, mate, that's, that's not really how, how things work. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah. And then, yeah, so that didn't end up going ahead. 
Um, so I pretty much just did mostly like one-on-ones and a few small group stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I moved to a, like a boutique uh, personal training studio where there was no like membership base. It was just trainers and their personal training clients mm-hmm. um, and worked out of there up until yeah, like 2020 when everything went to shit. Um, and I was pretty much about to open up my own space and I got very fortunate that I didn't. <laughs> and during this time, you were personally involved in powerlifting? Yeah, so I, I think I did my first comp in like 2014. I did like a novice comp at a gym um, and I was just like, yeah, like it's it's fun. Um, and then I got roped into doing a sanctioned comp um, and then like I just – like was like yeah like i have a bit of fun doing this i'll sort of do them here and there um you know was like got invited to a couple of comps that frankly i probably shouldn't have gotten invited to but i got invited to them and i'm incredibly grateful for the experiences because they were probably the highlight of my my lifting career Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's it's definitely been an an interesting road to get to where i am now Hmm. what do you think what okay so during that time you were obviously coaching online as well so i i guess started coaching online in like 2016 okay that's pretty so, early yeah so yeah. funnily enough uh Aaron was my first client really he was my very 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 first online client and he was with me for like three years or something like that funnily enough Aaron was my first ever online coach I know, which is the funny part. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, That is funny. Yeah. So, like, even though, like, it was always one of the things where, and even to this day, like, even though I do a lot more online now, I never really wanted to be an online coach. What's that? I said, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, And the reason is, like, what, I can get out of someone in a face-to-face session is otherworldly compared to what I get out of someone with a weekly online check-in. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, like again, after almost 13 years of doing this, like I'm pretty fucking good at what I do. Um, I would agree. But I feel like the the lack of interaction, the lack of the personal approach to it when you're behind a computer screen, I just don't feel like it serves the same purpose as it should. Like mm-hmm. I think there's a very good reason as to why it's called personal training is that it should be personal. Um, and when, you know, when you get someone into the gym and they're going to go for a heavy lift and you're seeing them like week in, week out and you, you learn that person quite well, there are times when they'll come and you'll be like, Look, man, like, I know you'd be stressful because you've got exams coming up, but all I need from you today is to focus on this one lift. And this, this is, I think, where the art of coaching really comes in is where it's like it's taking a person from over here where they are and guiding them over to here where you want them to be. And I think that is only a skill that you can really develop while, when, like, by doing it. Like I, you learn what works, what doesn't work. You learn people's personality types and, you know, like if you get someone who's like really type A, like you need to deal with them in a very specific way. If you get someone who's not and you try and speak to them like they are, 
they're gonna look at you and be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, yeah, don't speak to me like that. <laughs> yeah, and though that all comes back to obviously communication and reading, reading the person, reading the client, reading, reading the the lifter, you know, however you want to phrase it, and then very quickly forming a connection and very quickly understanding how you need to communicate what you need to communicate to that person in a way that they're going to accept what you're saying and take it on board. And I think, and I agree with you that comes, I think you can develop that through online coaching, but I think it takes a long time. And I think there's pieces that will always be missing. I think when you develop that in person, face to face with all different personality types, all different, um, all different, types of people with all of different goals, different um, upbringings, different cultures, all sorts of things. Um, over the years of doing that through hundreds of people, it becomes so ingrained in you that half the time you don't even know that you're doing it. You're just commu- you're just mirroring your client's communication style subconsciously. And it makes yeah. you a better coach. That that is literally the essence of coaching: is learning to communicate what you want so that they understand it. Well, like for example, like I had, uh, like so this is a guy that I used to train face to face, and I worked with him from I think twenty sixteen or twenty seventeen, pretty much up until I moved. Um, and he called me mid middle of last week, and he was just like, "Hey man, like how you been, like." Just wanted to like ring and just like check in. Like I was like, you know, we pretty much saw each other twice a week for like a couple of years. Like I just wanted to let you know, like I miss you. And that pretty much if you ever want to come back to like face-to-face coaching, like I'll be your first person, first person back through the door. And I think like to develop the kind of relationship with someone where like, you know, shit, I moved in March. I didn't see him. Like, so he he went away on a holiday, like, just before Christmas, like, last year. Mm-hmm. And then when he came back, like, I'd already moved. So I didn't actually get a chance to, like, say a proper goodbye to him. So, like, when he, he came back and he's like, hey, man, like, I'm, I'm back. Like, you know, are you, like, are you still in town? Like, do we have time to, like, catch up before you go? I was like, man, like, like no, like, I've already moved. Um, like, I, I, I told you. <laughs> um but I think developing those relationships as much as I think you can, but if let's say like from zero to a hundred is what you can develop on a face-to-face scale, I would probably say that it's like zero to 70 is what you can develop on like an online thing. Cause again, if you send me an email and you're like, Hey man, like how's your week been? Like what's been going on? I could have had the greatest or the worst week in my life. And I can just respond back on, not much, man. Same old on this end. And you probably will. Yeah. Whereas if someone comes into a, a like personal training session and you're like, hey, man, like, how's your week been? And they've had like, let's say, the worst week of their life. Most people don't have the ability to hide their like. They might sit there and be like, yeah, it's all right. Yeah, but you'll know straight away. Either their eyes are going to well up, their voice is going to break, or their body language is going to be so shut down that you're going to be like, something's going on here, like. Probably my most profound experience I ever had as a coach. So this is when I was working at Pro Raw uh, in 2019. I had a, a client come in for a session. Have you ever been to Pro Raw? No, I haven't. Okay. So it's pretty much like it's n- like narrow-ish, but it's really long. 
and I'm down one end of the gym, and she's walked in the other very end of the gym. So she's still like me. Up, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Long and narrow. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with your heart either. <laughs> um, but, like, she's walked into the gym, and I'm like, something's off with her today. I don't know what it is, but I know something's wrong. And she walks up, and I'm like, how are you today? And she goes, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm like, are you? I'm like, I'm like is I'm like, has something happened? I'm like, this might like, sound weird, but I'm like, I'm getting a really strong amount of intuition that something's wrong at the moment. And she's like, no, 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 no everything's fine. Like, I just, I just want to train. I was like, okay. <laughs> so we trained. We had a really, really good session. And like, because I had a pretty certain opinion that she was like, I'm like, something's off here. I need her to feel really good after this session. So I was like, cool, today's just about like, giving her something to pretty much give her a bit of a, a confidence and a bit of an ego boost. Yeah. And was very, very successful in that. We did it. We finished the session. We're like, high fives are all around. I'm like, yep, yeah, amazing. And she's like, how the fuck did you know something was wrong? And I'm like, what do you mean? And she goes, I split up with my fiance last night. And I'm like, fuck, I knew it. <laughs> I knew I could pick <laughs> it up as soon as you walked in. Yeah. But you would never be able to have that sort of intuition through a computer. Yeah, and I also think even, even further to that, it comes down to knowing or being able to see and have a communication, a back and forth communication in the moment. And that gives you a really good read on how that person is going to react to what you're saying and how they need information delivered to them. So yeah. I think a really good example of that would be, you know, if you're if you're just sending a client sends you a video and they're like, what should I do for my next set, for example? Uh, this is my this is my top set. It's my my last heavy single before comp. This felt pretty good. What should I do? You're just looking at a video. You don't really know what they need to hear in that moment. You don't know how they're going to react to what you say. You're not there. You don't. You can't read the room. There's lots of things that you're kind of not seeing and feeling. On the flip side, um, I'll give a good example of when I did my last heavy squat where you wrapped my knees before Queensland States this year. I was earlier this just year. thinking about that. And we had known each other not that long at that time, but we had already had quite a few conversations exactly like this that went for an extremely long time much longer than expected yeah and i feel like by that stage you had already got a pretty good gauge on how i needed to be communicated with especially in moments like those i had a number in my brain that i wanted to hit that day i did my last warm-up and it moved very well and everyone was like, chuck it on. And literally Except everyone, me. literally everyone in the room, I heard it as I hadn't even racked it yet. And people were saying, load 300. Like literally I hadn't even racked it yet. And my brain was like, fuck yeah, I'm loading 300 for sure. Like that was easy. Like literally easy. It was not even, it wasn't even an RPE 8. Like it was, it felt so easy. Hmm. And um, had you in that moment, I literally remember turning to you and saying, what should I load? And had you have said, 
Mm, I don't know, man. What do you think? How did it feel? What do you what do you what do you think you should do? I we would have loaded three hundred. I wouldn't have even answered you. I would have just started loading. Yeah, but you didn't say that because you knew if you said that, I'm quite a I'm quite a dominant person. I'm very assertive in most situations, and given a choice, I'll just do whatever I want to do. You I, you didn't give me a choice in that situation. You said. We're loading 290 and you're going to make it move just like that one. And you're going to squat 300 at your competition. And because you didn't give me a choice, that's exactly what we did. But this is also like, I mean, we've spoken about this a number of times. Like what's the objective of training? And that's a perfect, that's a perfectly exactly what I wanted to lead into. Yeah. Like <laughs> people like, and this is the thing, like, if you are prepping for a comp, your training doesn't fucking matter. Mm -hmm. Like it literally, it doesn't matter. You could yep. squat 80 kilos. Like if you were one of those people, you could squat like 80 kilos and you just needed that on your back and then you could go and load 300, you could squat at a comp. It's like, cool, just, just squat 80. That's all you need. Mm -hmm. But like, this is where I feel like a lot of people that have come up and done like say powerlifting prep, and they only know powerlifting, they forget about basic principles that are taught in any sort of like certification, qualification, or anything like that. Adaptation. Mm -hmm. Now, powerlifters think purely in the whole, oh, well, if I squat this and I'll, I'll be able to squat this next week. They don't really take into consideration like, um, like what happens after you do something. They think, oh, well, I just I do this, this happens. Um, Again, like, of course, this is the one moment where I'm going absolutely fucking blank on the the principle, but it's pretty much like you do something and you drop in a super conversation. Super conversation. Yeah. Or you drop into the value fatigue. And depending on what the stimulus is to facilitate and elicit that fatigue, depends on how wide and how deep that value is going to be. Now, this is where I keep coming back to going, if you're dropping into a belt. If you're hitting a stimulus point here and you're wanting this adaptation here, it has to go down. It has to come back up. But if you're shooting to here and this is what you want to hit a comp, by the time you hit that, you're going to be on a downward trajectory for a longer period of time. And this is what shits me when people keep trying to force adaptation rather than facilitating adaptation. Like, we, we're talking about this when it comes to like final heavy squat attempts before a comp. It's mm -hmm. like hit something hard, hit something you have to work for, but make sure you make it. We don't want failed attempts here. No, like, no. And at the end of the day, the number really doesn't matter, does it? Whether it's, I don't know, like let's say I've, I've got friends of mine, like I'll use Alex as a really good example. Um, when he was prepping for Pro Roll 11 in 2020, just before everything went to shit and it also got cancelled, he was on par to have the sexiest comp of his life. And we ended up doing a mock meet just because. I think he's shared some of that footage fairly recently. Yeah, he has. He yeah. has. He scored a 370 at like 104 or something like that. Mm -hmm. Bench 225 and pulled 325. Like total, like I think it was like 910 or 915 or whatever it ended up being. 
at like 104 kilos body weight and he did all that in like three hours. Nice. Like, it's insane. Just back to back. But I think his last heavy squat in that prep was like 360 or something or maybe 350 or something like that. It was a big, big squat. Um, But he didn't go in to try and hit a 370 squat by trying to squat 370 in training. Mm. Like, that's not how it works. Like, if you're trying to squat 370 at comp, your last heavy squat probably needs to be like 340 to 350. Depending on how that moves, it's going to give you a bit of an idea whether that is actually in the bag or not. Like mm. another really good example is like Joe. Like that dude is unfathomably strong. Mm-hmm. Like, and he has a very sexy squat. Does he ever? <laughs> but like, you know, can, can we just say it? Because, and then if we say it, can you just clip it and send it to Joe? Because in Joe's last prep, he would send you the video and then you would send me the video and I'll be like, <laughs> Please tell him I love him. <laughs> I, I would always tell you, I'm like, my friend Nick has the most raging heart on for you. Oh, it's ridiculous. I'm so but jealous. Like, I'm so jealous that he has a baby to someone else. <laughs> Alex <laughs> Soz. <laughs> oh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> but like, again, like he's a prime example of like what he was playing on squatting for his last heavy single for the prep versus where he actually ended up. It was like 20-ish kilos difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He wasn't trying to go in, like, even in, like, other preps where, like, you know, he's been shooting for, a, say, a 1,000-pound squat, he hasn't gone into his training being like, oh, I'm going to, like, I'm going to finish on a 1,000 pounds and I'm just going to replicate it on, the, on comp day. He's like, he understands that this is because he's a, he's a veteran when it comes to competing. He's like, my objective is to squat a 1,000 pounds at comp, not to score a thousand pounds in training. My objective from training is to facilitate the adaptations that are required for me to then go and score a thousand pounds at comp. He gets it. Yeah. And I think this is where like maturity as a lifter really comes into play as well. And I think like having confidence in yourself to know that you've done the work to actually justify doing it. Yeah. And I think that's where this tends to happen a lot is when it, I don't think lifters a lot of the time in my experience are thinking I need to squat I need to squat this or I need to bench this in training otherwise I can't do it in comp I think it's more from the perspective of if I do it in training I at least then know that I can do it and I'll be able to do it at comp and then I should just be able to replicate that on competition day with no nerves and my my rebuttal to that would be <laughs> it doesn't actually work like that. No, it doesn't. Like in some of the experiences that I've had with coaches in the past sort of like that have been coaching me, one of the things that got really drilled into me, which I'm really grateful for, was it's perfect practice. Like you make every rep look the same. And the amount of time that I actually spent pushing top end really really hard was very minimal Mm. like a lot of the work that we did and this is where you know like the the argument or the the debate between like rpe or like percentage-based training i think becomes really really interesting i think there are very few lifters that can genuinely work 
to true RPE because frankly, I don't think a lot of powerlifters in particular actually know how to push to true RPEs. And like, again, that's not a, every powerlifter doesn't know how to, it's a very small percentage that I would say would know how to, but like how many people hit a sticking point and can hold the sticking point and push through it, make it hard and then go buckle up, bitch. Like we're going for another one. Mm. Like there's not many who can do that. No, well, yeah, there's not. There's there's not many that would even have the skill level to be able to do that either. But even like you put them on machines where the skill component gets taken out significantly, people hit, oh, this is a little bit uncomfortable. I'm done. And yeah. then you look at the video back and you're like, motherfucker, you had at least 10 more reps there. Like yeah. that's not an RPE eight. Like that's made. That's not. That doesn't even register as an RPE. That's not even on the scale. And and you know what? That <laughs> you you're saying that you know a little bit tongue in cheek, but to really like that's actually happened to me when I was coaching in person. I had a client who was an online client, uh, and I was I was PTing out of a world gym and doing online coaching as well. I had. My, my online client I knew wasn't pushing to the prescribed RPEs. And I kept saying, there's more in the tank, there's more in the tank, there's more in the tank. And each week I'd get, you know, maybe like one one more rep, two more reps. And I'm like, dude, there's, there's like a lot more there. Like I can see you're not even struggling. There's a lot there. I know it feels like shit, but it's- Can I interject it. for a second? Yeah. So this is where- most people don't know what true RPE is, right? Whereas if you were like, hey, like let's say it was a pendulum squat, like, oh, you got a 20 kilo plate on there. I'm saying I want an RPE eight and you're hitting 10 reps, but I reckon you've got more. That's when I would just turn and be like, I want 18 reps. Yeah. You can do it. It's gonna it's gonna be hard, but you can do it. Yeah. Because and the so whole that's... thing of like perceived exertion is it's it's it's, it's relative. Specific. Like if they don't know how to train hard, for them, like they might be like, oh, that's that's really hard. We sit there as people who know how to access it, how to train it, and how to gauge it, and we're like, "That's nothing. That's easy." Yeah. So this this guy came in, this client came in for a face to face session, and the very first thing I did, I, I, we went over. I said, "All right, we're going to train back today. What's your favorite back exercise? What's your favorite back machine? I want you to pick your favorite because I'm going to need you to have some enjoyment in this set because." Uh, beyond that it's not going to be enjoyable and he's like oh, i really like the 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 hammer strength isolateral row the chest supported isolateral and i was like cool all right well so i'm going to say a set of 12 what plates are you going to load on there and he's like oh, i could do three plates for 12 i was like beautiful let's load three plates then so we loaded three plates up and i said i know i said a set of 12 but you're not going to stop until I tell you to stop this set. So if that's that's 10 reps, that's 50 reps, I don't care. We're going to strap your hand in and you're going to go until I tell you to stop. And he was like, all right, let's do it. And I thought that he might get maybe 20 reps. I'm not even kidding you. He got 48 reps. <laughs> nice. <laughs> 48 reps. And that was a set that he said that he would do an RPE 8 set of 12. It's the whole classic PT uh, centers of, like, yep, cool, one more. Yep, cool, one more. Yep, cool, one more. 
I just kept saying, go, go, go. And like, he was obviously in pain. And I was like, keep going, keep going, keep going. And then I like put my hand on the handle and pretended to spot, but didn't actually help at all. And I was like, keep going. And then when I pretended to help, he got like another seven because he thought I was helping, but I actually wasn't. Perception's a wonderful task, a wonderful tool, sorry. Like the amount that like you can increase like output on a task if you if you perceive that it's easier mm. insane mm. yeah the brain's super powerful right it's like the um there was a, i can't remember what the name of the study was but this is a study where people were given like a like there was a, like a milkshake study and people were given like milkshake one and it was like a a low calorie like low carb milkshake and then group b were given like a high calorie like high fat high sugar one it was the same fucking milkshake but the group that thought they had the higher calorie one put on more weight. <laughs> nice. So all <laughs> I have to do is say that my pizza's low calorie. Pretty much. <laughs> Done. Dieting just became so much easier. You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> and it's backed by studies. Exactly. So like, if you're going to deny science and you can fuck right off. Yeah. Get out of here. We don't want your ears. Yeah. So obviously, again, standard for us, long-winded thingy. Mm. How did you get into the industry? Mm. Oh, wow. We did go off track. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so like I said before, I started training myself when I was about 12 years old. Um, and that was initially to be stronger for rugby league, which is, was my sport of choice growing up. Um, and around that 12 to 13, 14 year old age, um, boys start getting a lot stronger and a lot rougher and um me being always being quite tall um and and quite like big physically um i was always the target of the opposition team um, because you take the big guy down and everyone else falls um but what i found was that although i was like physically bigger i was quite tall quite lanky um, and I wasn't really that much like stronger physically than everyone else. I was just bigger at that age. Um, and I just remember thinking, man, if I'm going to be bigger, I'm going to need to be stronger because these guys are going to look at me and they're going to, they're going to try and hit me harder. They're going to target me to try and prove a point. Um, and I need to be able to stand up to that. And, and I'm also very competitive and I wanted to do well at football at, at, that point in my life, I had made the decision that that was what I was going to do with my life for a living. I was, I was going to play football and there was no other option. Um, so I started at the gym. Um, I very quickly became friends with a group of older bodybuilders at that gym um, because I would go every single morning. Um, they, after a few months, saw me going in, doing all of the wrong things, but at least doing it consistently. Um, and they would see me looking over at them and trying to see what they were doing and then come in a week later and try and mimic what they were doing, but just doing it completely wrong. Um, and, you know, it's that that old saying is like, everyone's always intimidated by the biggest guys in the gym, but they're usually the friendliest guys. And these guys were so intimidating, bro. Like they were legit proper jacked 
and you know they would take their shirts off mid training and just flex in the mirrors and it was quite an old school gym that was owned by a competitive bodybuilder at the time as well so you know all of that kind of stuff was encouraged and they were huge and and they probably even looked a lot bigger to me because I was you know 12 years old yeah um but they came over to me and said man you've been training here pretty consistently for the last couple of months, but you're doing everything wrong. You know, you've probably gone backwards over the last two months because, you know, what you're doing is ridiculous. And we can see you trying to do what we're doing, but you're just not doing it wrong. Um, do you want to train with us? Which I thought at the time was really cool. But I also thought, oh, well, this is this must just be like what people in the gym do is like they help other people. So I said yes and started training with them and, you know, picked up a lot of tips and tricks um, over the, I trained with them for about two years, which was awesome. Probably some of the best like training days of my life, to be honest, which feels weird to say because it was so long ago, but I learned so much from those guys so young. Um, and then I ended up moving when I was 17 or 18 to Queensland to play Queensland Cup. And then decided that footy wasn't for me after a few injuries. And while I was, I had the opportunity, I was like, well, I'm going to have to do something else with my life. So I went and studied my PT certs and that was in 2005. So that's, I don't know how many years ago that is now, but that's a, that's a long time. So that's when I, that's when I became a PT. So yeah. Was that nearly 18, 18 years? 18, 19 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's my timeline. Um, and I quickly found out that that's not actually what people do in the gym for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, this kind of sucks because that was such a cool experience for me um, to train with those guys that knew a lot. And I, being new to the gym and being young and not really understanding what was happening, I, I took a lot of confidence and it made me really happy and I felt proud that they wanted to help me and I got a lot of knowledge from them. And I thought, man, I want to do that for other people too, but I just don't really know what the heck I'm doing yet. I'm just doing what these guys told me and I don't even know if it's right. So I went to PT school, thought I was going to learn everything I needed to know about exercise and training and being a PT. And anyone that's done their PT certs quickly realizes that unfortunately that's not the case. And I came out of the certs with a basic understanding of training and really not much else. You know, actually, <laughs> you know, actually, when I did my PT certs, um, I won't name the institution, but it was in Queensland, in Brisbane City at the time. And it was a 12-month face-to-face, two nights a week course. Online PT certs didn't exist in that time. That's how old I am. And they taught us that the perfect session was one push exercise, one pull exercise, one leg exercise, and then a 15-minute massage, shoulder massage at the end of the session. I mean, it fucking works. If it ain't broke, <laughs> don't fix it. And so I did that. I I I did that for a little while because then when I went through those certs, I was like, man, all of this stuff that these guys told me was wrong because all I have to do is one push, one pull, one legs, and then get a 15-minute shoulder massage. And that's 
that's um you know scientific fitness right there and so i le- i graduated the graduated from the certificates i went and um subcontracted to a company called momentum fitness in brisbane where i pt'd out of the novotel hotel so we rented their gym the hotel gym that had a chest press machine a lap pull down machine a squat rack a leg press and a pool and a treadmill and that was it oh and one of those dip pull-up stations that's it that eugene just found on the side of the road that probably that exact one probably and so my p so what i did is i used to go and stand out near brisbane train station handing out flyers and saying do you want to come and check out our gym and then if someone went to take the flyer i would hold on to the flyer so that they couldn't take it and i'll try and force a conversation i'll be like oh you're interested in fitness and then i'll try and strike a conversation and i'll be like hey the gym's just up the road you should come and check it out right now and that was horrible but it worked at the time <laughs> but i didn't get any one results because i was just doing one lap pull down and one chest press chest press machine and either a squat or a leg press depending on what the person preferred and then i'll give them a 15 minute shoulder massage and that was their session uh and i thought sold. i was i thought i was doing god's work man i'm telling you i was i was completely sold <laughs> and it, i very quickly realized that that's not actually any good and so you know years and years of further education trial and error um i went over to the usa for a long time 10 years i worked in gyms over there um and ended up i was in a place called napa valley in the us which is quite close to sacramento um and there was a gym in napa valley that i joined and was training at um called basics gym and in basics gym I I thought I was pretty strong, right? Um, I was I was quite into powerlifting at this time. I was uh, reading all of the elite FTS blogs and worshipped Dave Tate and you know all of the the guys. Uh, and I was I was following five three one from Jim Wendler religiously. I loved it. It was the greatest program ever written. And I went to this gym. And I remember walking in on the first day and they had this little powerlifting section down the back. And I went to the the one free squat rack out of the two and I started setting up and there was a guy on the, the second squat rack right next to me. And he was a little bit younger than me, but similar age. I'd say probably, you know, five, five to 10 years younger. A little bit chubby. Um, didn't really look like he lifted at the time. And I just remember thinking, I'm going to show this guy how fucking strong I am at squatting. <laughs> right? I just, it's so clear. I remember it so clearly. And I, I started squatting and I put a plate on and I put another plate on and I put another plate on. And I think my max squat at the time wasn't very high. I, well, I know it wasn't very high, but to me it was, I was strong as hell. And then he was squatting next to me didn't look at me at all. 
ended up squatting like three more plates than me and just did like nine extra reps and it was easy. I just remember thinking like, damn, the hell is going on here? Like this push pull legs thing is not working for me. Like all of those shoulder rubs and this is just not working. This is not working out. So I ended up talking to the guy, his name's Zach. And um, you can follow him on Instagram. His name's Iron Man Zach on Instagram. And he's still lifting to this day and he's much stronger than I am still to this day. But he became my training partner for the, a good couple of years. And we trained every afternoon and we trained hard. We did a lot of shit that I probably would never do now. But Like what? Like we just, we trained way harder than we needed to. We trained way more often than we needed to. We were doing conjugate for a long time. Um, and we would just think of the most random things to do and we would just max them out. Like, you know, safety squat bar good mornings from chains for a max effort just because. And then we would go upstairs and we would be like, all right, let's just max out our glute ham raises. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and we would start doing sets of 10 and you know, he would grab a plate. So then I would grab a plate and do eight. And then he would be like, oh, well, Nick grabbed the plate. So now I'm going to grab two plates, but I can only do six. So then I would grab two plates, but I could only do three. And it would end up just being a max effort because we just wanted to out-train each other. Um, lots of dumb things, but I also look back and I'm like, it's kind of cool that we did all of those dumb things because it was fun and it was a lot of the stuff we did was we only wanted to do it because it was hard. Mm. And I think that's missing a little bit in today's training as well for a lot of people is just doing shit just for the pure fact that it's hard. See, the funny thing is like you moved to America, you had a good training partner over there. I had a, a like one of my best mates, he's American has now moved back to the US, but he and I were training partners around the time that I did my certs. And he and I would train like twice a week together at like six in the morning. We'd do like, it was like bench dips and like weighted chins followed by like some arms. It was like five by five, five by five, five by five. And yeah. then like three by like 10 to 12 for arms, just like for a bit of a party pump afterwards. Yeah. This is back when, um, the original Jack formula was still a, a, like the best fucking pre-workout anyone's ever had. Yep. But, still is. Yep. Still is. But I th like very much what you said in terms of like having someone to like push you to actually just train hard is absolutely something that is missing in so many training settings at the moment. Yeah. And, and he was a fantastic training partner, but he's actually, so to, to complete that story, he's, we he had competed in a couple of meets already, and after a little while of training together, he was like, "Man, you should you should do a powerlifting competition." And I was like, "Ah, oh, I don't think I'm strong enough to do a powerlifting competition yet." And he was like, "Nah, shit, excuse, just do one." So I did. I borrowed his soft suit to do it, um, and it was he's a lot shorter than me. I'm quite tall, so it wedged me like it proper wedged me. Um, yeah. It was way, way, way too small. Um, and after my squats, it, it was so small that not only did I know it was too small, everyone in the room knew it was too small. 
<laughs> I remember there's, there was a really good lifter. He was like the the kind of the big dog on campus around the, the Sacramento Napa area in powerlifting at the time. Um, and his name was Sc- Scott Hoss Cartwright. Um, if you look him up on open powerlifting, he's, he's a weapon. Um, he was competing at that meet as well, my first meet. And he came up to me after squats and he was like, buddy, whose soft suit is that? We can see what you had for breakfast. I was like, it's a bit small, I think. He's like, get another one next time. Yeah. Like, like gotcha. <laughs> point, point taken. But um, yeah, so I did my first meet in 2011. It was a USPA meet called the East Bay Raw Powerlifting Challenge in Concord, California, at a gym called Diablo Barbell. Fantastic gym, still going today. And uh, <laughs> I, I had to go back to find the meet results because it was so long ago, it's actually not even on open powerlifting. It was on um, the website before open powerlifting. I think it was called like Open Lifter or something like that. Um, and it was on a PDF that I had to download to get it, but I competed at 129 kilos and I squatted 227.5 and I benched 125, which at the time I thought was awesome. Mm. And I deadlifted 205 for a Some spot, legit numbers. 557.5 total. And I thought I was... Do you know what though? I came first in my weight class. We the best in your weight class, though. Yeah, but that that, that doesn't matter. <laughs> a win's a win. <laughs> no one ever says that, and neither am I. A win's <laughs> a win. I took the win. Um, yeah, so that's kind of when I when I started powerlifting, uh, and I've I floated in and out over the years, um, but I always found my way back. I would have periods where I'd go and, you know, train maybe a little bit more athletically. I trained for some running events. I trained for some throwing events. Um, I trained for bodybuilding for a little while. Um, I stopped training for a little while, um, but for a little while, I mean like a year. Um, and then not even about eight months. And then, but I would always come back to powerlifting and and strength training in general. Um yeah, and that's kind of what lands me here today. Very good. But yeah, that's um, it's quite funny to look back at those numbers because at the time, I thought that was so good. I, the first novice comp that I did, I competed in that. I was, I think, I competed like eighty one point seven kilos. I squatted one seventy five. Benched 125 and deadlifted like 215. Yeah, so more than me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Who's but got like, a bigger total now, though? You do. <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> Who gives yes. a shit about it, though? Yeah, but I think it's a really, I think it's really good to highlight that you don't have to be strong, or you don't have to be where you want to be, or what you think is strong to start. Starting is always the best thing, right? Like if you're interested in it, I think you should just start and yeah. get a total and then build from there. Because I'm firmly of the opinion that if you're if you're a powerlifter or if you're interested in powerlifting um, specifically, 
you don't actually have a total until you compete. I would agree. Right. Like I know, I know there's, there's a lot of momentum about training totals and, and that's, that's fine. Um, if you like training totals, that's, that's good. That's all well and good. I personally don't. Um, and I think that probably the best thing that you can do if you're interested in powerlifting is to compete, get a total that's um, judged by impartial judges um, to a standard and then work on bettering that total. And in reality, like that's all we're here for, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this, I mean, I don't really think you can argue with that, right? No, like I'm just actively trying to censor myself at the moment so I don't come across like a salty bitch. <laughs> um, but as I said earlier, like training doesn't mean shit. Like it, it's funny, I'm like. I've unless you, unless you unless you just want to train and you're not interested in, in competing, then that's a but, whole different story. But then training is your your gauge of progress. Like then then it does matter. Yeah. Like if I've I've had some preps in the past, like my my very first nationals back in 2016, I had the greatest prep you could ever imagine. I I finished with so. The prep that I had at the time, I finished my prep on heavy two by two. Mm -hmm. That was my final heavy session. There was no singles. There was nothing like that. I scored a 250 for two by two. I benched 140 for two by two, and I pulled 262 and a half for two by two mm -hmm. at like 80. Oh, sorry, I competed at 90 kilos for that nationals. Everything that I was prescribed for the entire prep, I was able to just like add like two and a half, five kilos every single week. And I just, I progressed beautifully. Mm -hmm. I had my final head, my final session on the Tuesday morning before I competed on the Saturday. Guess what happened on Wednesday? What? I woke up sick as a fucking dog. Came down with like the flu or something like that. So took Wednesday off work pretty much like, when it oh, did like a was that your deload week before the comp? Yeah, mm. you see so, that happen a fair bit. Well, so not this a fair also, bit, but it, it's also not uncommon. Yeah, but this is also where, like, if I look at the prep and what I was doing outside of training, like, I deserve to get sick. Like, I was going out pretty much every Saturday night till and like was out till like three, four o'clock in the morning, like drinking and hounding my way around, like. Nice. So I, I had I had a lot of fun in that prep, um, but I was like, because I had people there like, oh, you need to stop going out and like and partying and drinking, like you're, you're being an idiot. I'm like, but my training's going great. I'm like, mm -hmm. the moment that it doesn't it does like doesn't progress the way that it is, then I'll rein it in. But I'm like, for now, like I'm having fun. Like I'm I'm more or less stress free because I'm just like I'm having a lot of fun. Like I'm not stressed right now. Mm -hmm. So did all that. Went and like, so we flew to the Gold Coast on the Thursday. I had, so I got to, we got to the Gold Coast on Thursday. I weighed myself at the house we were staying at and I was like 92 kilos or something like that. And I so had to be under 90. 
So Friday morning, I'm like, yep, I'm just going to like sauna the weight off. There was no sauna that was open within like 40 minutes where we were staying. So I was like, all right, hot bath it is. Made made weight, went and weighed in. I was so delirious from being so dehydrated, even though it wasn't a big weight cut. Like that was at a time where I had no idea about how to cut weight either. Yep. Um, weighed in, like just had the worst day. I think I went four from nine. Like I made my score open up, missed second and third, made my bench open and missed my second, made it on my third, hit my deadlift opener, nearly passed out on my second attempt and didn't take a third. Like mm. best prep, worst comp. Mm-hmm. On the other side of that, I've had some comp, uh, some preps where like the prep has gone to absolute trash. And I was like four weeks out. I'm like, if I can't hit this weight, I'm going to pull out from the comp because it's just not worth it. And I've posted this video a few times, but it's like a, a 600 pound squat that I've hit. And I remember like I went in and I was just dialed in. Mm-hmm. I'd had a prep where I'd missed, I'd missed my top set. I think the last like five or six weeks in a row. And I just, I just kept getting to like, I would have like three or two reps or whatever it was. And I would hit the first rep and then I would just, hit like this god awful wall afterwards i'm like i just i can't get any more than one or two reps out mm-hmm. and i was like and then like i got really sick and i was like well if i can't if i can't hit at least this weight i'm just i'm not going to compete i remember when i went and i hit that like that 272 and i was like <laughs> and that felt so fucking good had like a two-week deload on squats, came in, hit a PB on the platform. Is that the comp that you did in the purple wraps that you gave me? No. Oh, that's not it. That's not it. No. Because that so, was a pretty that was a pretty nice squat, too. So there was another comp that I did in 2019 where I was like, I woke up in the morning of that comp and like, mm, I'm not gonna go. And then I had someone call me and they're like, what time are you getting down here today? I'm like, I look, I don't know if I will. They're like, shut the fuck up. You're coming. I was like, whatever. So I rocked up on the day and I got a mate of mine. I was like, hey, Matt, like, I don't want to have to think today. Can you just call my temps for me? And they're like, yep, sweet. And i like, I opened my squad at 250, hit that pretty comfortably, took 270 for a second. I was like, yeah, that was all right. But I'm like, I think I'm going to need the wraps done a lot tighter if I'm going to go for anything heavier than the third. And the guy who usually wrapped me like happened to rock up, like literally like walked in the door as I said that. And I'm like, hey, dude, I'm like, for good old times, like, do you want to wrap my knees in my third? And he's like, fuck yeah, let's do it. And I forgot how much his wraps were just like outrageously tight. (laughs) And he's wrapped me and I got under it, squatted it. And I was like, yeah, all right, cool. But that comp there, like I... There's an equal PB squat, PB bench, PB deadlift, PB total. And that was a comp where I'm like, I just don't care. Because I had like a really rough prep. Didn't really care. I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, you know, me being there is an achievement in itself. And it's all like, I've always found like the comps that I've done where I don't care are are the comps that have always been my best. Do you think that, comes down to potentially your mindset on the day a little bit too and how you were able to regulate your emotions 
because you didn't feel like you had so much writing on it because you had a great prep and everything should fall into place. And now it's on me to do this. It was almost just like, oh, well, I have really have nothing to lose. I think it's that, but I think it's also just like really settling into my demeanor as, a, as an athlete and that I'm not, I'm not that sort of like hard ass, like must be serious and there's no time for fun. Like I like to have a bit of fun in the, in the warm room. Like I like to, I like to just like relax a little bit and then like turn it on when I have to turn it on. Like my thing is, so like last year when I was in Sydney for like for breakthrough and for battlegrounds, like I was lucky enough, I got to handle Pat on the Sunday. Mm -hmm. Man, that dude is like annoyingly calm (laughs) for a dude that lifts as much weight as he does. Yeah. Well, that comes with experience too. Yeah. But like, Oh, it's where it's made me really realize like I'm I'm not like an aggressive lifter. I'm not a hype lifter. It's like I, I can be cool, calm, and collected on the outside, but internally it's like it's almost like allowing all that pressure to build. Like, like for example, like when I get my knees wrapped, this is where like my geeky background like comes into play. Like, did you watch like Dragon Ball Z when it first came out on like Cheese TV? Mm-hmm. So like in like season Dragon, one when Dragon Ball Z was my third favorite show. Nice. Behind like, Bucket Mice from Mars from Mars and yeah. uh Shark Man were my two favorite. Fuck yeah, I get around that. <laughs> um but like in the the scene where like you know where Goku like summons the spirit bomb. Mm-hmm. And it's all about like just being patient and breathing and allowing all that energy to sort of like flow in. When I would get my knees wrapped, I was like, there is so much pain and discomfort because of how tight my knees were getting wrapped that I would just have to sort of like sit there and like almost like meditate my way through it. And it was like all that pain that I'm feeling is just like building up. And this was always like my process leading into a squat. It was like up until like I sit down to get my knees up, I was like, I was cool. I was just like having a laugh. I was, you know, doing what I needed to do. And then the moment I sat down on the bench and like I put my leg out for it to be wrapped, the moment that that fabric hit my knee, I was just like, and it was just completely different. And then that all that tension and all that pain that was building up, was like, all right, cool. Like there's a, there's a reason why and it's like blowing up a balloon. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and there's more and more pressure. And I would stand up, I'd get my wrist wraps on, I'd do my belt up. The moment that my hands touched the bar, it was just like all of that pain and any of the emotion that came up when that was happening was like, cool, that's now just starting to bleed out and that's feeding energy. Mm-hmm. And then when I would get under a bar, it was like, I wasn't really focused on like how heavy does this bar feel on my back. I was more like these wraps around my knee feel awfully tight. <laughs> I cannot wait to get these off me so that I can take them the fuck off my knees. <laughs> yep. I've felt but that before whole... when you wrapped me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like for me, it was like, like again, like watching Pat compete was like, oh, again, like one of the best lifters in the country and like he almost seemed like he didn't take it too seriously. Like he was just like, yeah, okay, cool. Like I'm, I guess I'm going to go out and, you know, try and spot 350 right now. Yeah. And I, I'd like, I'd be sitting there like holding his, his wrist wraps. I'm like, I, I'm just literally <laughs> standing here like a wardrobe. I'm like, can, I'm like, can I do anything for you? He's like, no, man, I'm, I'm, I'm chill. But like, all I had to do on the day was like load his bar, make sure the pin heights were correct and just give him room to do his thing. 
And I think that's where, like, you like, and again, like watching Joe in his preps and all that sort of stuff is like you see these lifters who are mature and they're experienced and they know what they're doing and they are at a caliber of of standard where it's like you're probably going to want to listen to what they have to say and you're probably going to want to observe what they do so you can learn. Yeah. Like I remember <laughs> uh, in Joe's prep for uh, for Nightmare, I remember – so one of the sessions I went along and I got to spot him for it. And fuck me, man. Like, so I think this was like when he was meant to hit like 430 for a triple. And on the, the like second attempt, like he hit his second rep and we're all just like, oh, Jesus, this is good. And he took the breath in and like lost his balance a little bit. So we racked it. He walked down and you could just tell he was like fuming a little bit, but he still looked pretty calm. Now I'm, I'm standing next to this like fridge right here, right? So I'm standing here and he's just kind of like pacing around the gym. Like, I'm like, okay, cool. Like he's just doing his thing. And he starts like walking up towards me. I'm like, yep, okay, cool. Like he's getting really fucking close to me. And he looks <laughs> very angry. And, he and he's massive. Bang. And he headbutts the fridge. <laughs> nice. And so this fridge is like right next to him. I'm just like, <laughs> but it like, it hit like the, um, like the racks and stuff behind me and shit fell off. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. Which, was which, like a, which prep was this? Most recent one. Yeah, okay, for Mulder Street. Yeah. So this is back, it would have been in like, maybe towards the end of June, early July, something like that. Like not long after I moved back here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just like, oh, wow. That man has some energy about him. <laughs> yeah, and that's one of the things that I love. Yeah, About but again, Joe. you speak to him any other time and he is the kindest and most lovely man you will ever speak to. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And he's he's just kind of found what works for him, but that's two different ends of the spectrum between um, someone like that and someone like Pat. And yeah. I had a super similar experience um, just this year um, when I was at Queensland States um, so I was being coached by um, Will Crozier and he was there to handle me at Queensland States. And anyone that knows Will knows he's been around for forever. He's competed at the highest level. He's won everything there is to win. Uh, he's very comfortable and confident and relaxed on comp day. Um, and even when he's competing and also even when he's handling, he's just he knows how to stay calm at all times and will and i get along very well um so it's it's almost just like two friends hanging out and on the day uh he was extremely calm and that rubbed off on me and i was extremely calm and i think to be honest i was probably a little bit too calm for what works for me at that comp and that led to me not having the the result that I really wanted on the day or that I think I was probably capable of on the day. Um, there was a few other factors as well, but I think that was probably one of them was that I let myself be a little bit too calm when um, I needed to be a little bit more um, in the zone, I guess. Um, but at the same time, it was also a really good learning experience for me because I've never actually been that calm 
with any competition that I've ever done. I was always the player on the field throwing up before every game because I was so nervous, not because I was nervous that I wasn't going to do well, but because I was nervous that I wanted to do well and I had put so much pressure on myself to perform that I was having a, a, a literal physical reaction to that every single game. Yeah. Um, I was the player that if I had a bad game, I would have a literal tantrum in the sheds and throw my shit around, take my clothes off and throw them up against the wall, throw my boots across the sheds, try and fight my teammates, go home in the car with my parents, not go into my bedroom and not talk to the point where my dad would have to come in and say, listen, dickhead, if this is how you're going to treat us after you play bad, we'll just stop you playing. So I was, I was always very invested and emotionally driven to comp towards competition. And I, that, and it worked for me. I ended up playing at quite a high level and I played well most of the time. And I also do that when I lift, but I also, I'm not allowed a yelly lifter. I'm a very much more internal lifter, but it's, it's very intense. It's, People have said that the energy in the room like is quite palpable before I lift because I do, it is, it's quite internal, but it's also very intense. And I think at that stage, I got a little bit too calm, but I learned that calmness was also a very good tool to use. And so what I took from that was then for the next competition that I did, which was nationals with Will as well, was... I was able to joke around, have some fun in the warm-up room with with Will and and Mickey and some of these other lifters that were there. It was it was in my hometown, so I had you know all a lot of the guys from my home gym there. We had a lot of fun in the warm-up room, but then when I put my headphones on, it was heavy metal. I was smelling ammonia. I was angry. I wasn't talking to anyone until the lift was done and then I would take them off and I was okay again until it was time to switch on again. So I think going through that experience of learning and witnessing how to be that like almost overly calm gave me the tools that I needed to then take some of that and implement it to the level that I think worked really well for me at nationals, my most recent comp. Yeah. But man, like Will was like, Dude, he is so calm. Like, almost asleep. The only time that I've ever seen him show, like, emotion was when he pulled for the win at, when it was Pro or 10. Yeah, against Baz. Yeah, he pulled like 392 or something like that. Was it 392? Yeah. So, yeah, it was a massive pull for the win. Yeah, it was and not quite it. And then that photo of him was like, yeah, like afterwards. And that, like, again, like, I've seen him compete at a bunch of comps, and, like, that's the first time I, like, I've really seen a display of emotion, which I was, like, like, it was really interesting to see that versatility because, obviously, he is very calm and collected. He's sort of very honed in the focus on what he has to do. He goes in, he does his job, he gets off the platform and just repeats it eight more times in the day. Yeah, and, and from a coaching perspective, it was really cool to see how he handled me that day as well because... Um, we were kind of mucking around in the warm-up room, just talking about you know some different training styles that that he was doing and and talking about, and we were experimenting with them. And then I started warming up, and then um, I ended up 
missing my first squat, which I hate saying because I, I I hate that that happened to me, but it happened. And then um, I walked over to the side and like, he was so calm. Like I was expecting like, oh, what happened? Like, are you okay? Like, what do you want to do? He, he already just was like, yeah, let's take it again. And then he just kind of looked at me and he was like, you okay? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, what happened? And I was like, I don't know. And he was like, okay, but you're good. And I was like, yeah. And that was literally the only conversation we had. And I just remember thinking, oh, wow. Like this isn't a big deal. Like it's like, like obviously this is okay because he seems like it's okay. Like he's not making a big deal about this at all. And then um, we went to dinner after after the meet for my birthday and um mickey was like oh will was texting me after your first one he was like he was stressed out because you because you missed your first one i was like oh he didn't show that at all <laughs> it was like i almost thought he was uninterested at one point i was like does he even care that so, i missed this squat i think as a coach you kind of need to at least like like project that it's almost like you're not emotionally interested because you need to have that subjective perspective and opinion of going, are you, are you hurt? No. Okay, cool. Well, that that's yeah. fine. Then we just get back on. We do our thing. Yeah. It was honestly so perfect. And literally like, I think back to that moment so often and I've told this to him as well. It's like, I know that he wasn't trying to, to teach me in that moment, but it taught me so much because just how calm he was in that moment when I felt, everything other than calm i was like oh this this mustn't be a big deal i'm all good mm. so yeah it was it was really cool um but then come come to uh nationals like i just said which was my most recent comp and that was that i was a little bit more revved up for that one yeah and that that worked really well that worked really well i ended up getting a pretty decent result of that one so yeah you did <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's um, but I think uh, yeah, look, we'll, we'll talk about that. Is the progression from say like my first comp to to that comp, the most recent comp is um, how many years is that from two thousand eleven to two thousand and twenty three? Twelve years. So, uh, one hundred and twenty nine kilos was my first comp body weight, and at nationals I competed at one thirty four. So five kilos heavier, um, completely different body composition, obviously, but that's what happens when you train for that long. But my squat went from 227.5 to 292.5. And there was probably a little bit more in that squat. Um, but not you on the day, not, not on the day, on the day <laughs> that was every single milligram that was there. But I think uninjured, there was probably a decent amount more that, that was there. Um, yeah. But that, that was with a torn adductor um, three weeks out. Um, bench went from 125 to 155. And deadlift went from 205 to 320. So a 557.5 to 767.5. It's not a bad increase. Not a bad increase, but it's also not a hundred kilos every year. No. And I think like this is one of the things I feel like with social media that a lot of people just 
assume that they should have like 50 to 80 kilo increases on their total every 12 months. And it's like, yeah, that, it doesn't happen that way. Not most of the time. No. Like, but even if you have a 50 kilo increase in your total one year, the likeliness of, or the likelihood of adding another 50 kilos the following year, minimal. Yeah. And yeah. I think people have this expectation, like especially when you when you do work with clients that are, you know, of a slightly higher experience level when it comes to competing. Like if let's say someone switches coaches and they go, oh, well, this coach is going to help, help me add 20 kilos to my total. It's like maybe, but maybe not for a year. Like it might take you more than a 12-week 12 week prep to add kilos to your total. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, and this is kind of one thing that, like, I, I see a lot is, like, just the lack of patience. And I think coming back to, like, you know, looking at your total going from, say, you know, mid-fives to mid-sevens, it's like that took you over a decade to accomplish. Yeah. Like, and, and, I'm, and like, I and I understand that people are a lot stronger than me and are a lot more gifted than me and are going to have bigger totals than me and faster progressions than me. That's that's I think that actually is one of the reasons why I consider myself a pretty decent coach is because I know genetically I'm not built for this sport. I'm six foot six. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm very very tall. I'm I've got to move the bar a very long way, but I do love it and I think that. Um, I, but I still think that that's a pretty decent progression for a lot of people. I think it's more than a decent progression. Like I would say like on the other end of the spectrum, I would say I'm probably very physically gifted for this sport. Like I'm short, I'm stocky. I don't have to move the bar very far in some of my lifts. But for me, it's just like, I just don't have the, the drive or the love to be able to push it to the the level that would would be required for me to be what I would consider good. Yep. Like I I think I would I think I'm a great coach. I think my ability to problem solve a lot of issues and come up with like useful and beneficial outcomes. I think that is where my strong suit lies. I would consider myself to be a very mediocre powerlifter. I would say probably above average, not so much mediocre, but I would agree that to go to a different level, a higher level, there has to be a willingness to sacrifice other areas of your life, almost every other area of your life. Yeah. And there's going to be people that are willing to do that and people that aren't willing to do that. And both are very much okay, but understanding which camp you fall in, and I think and, well. and also and also ob objectively stepping back and not just wanting to be in the camp of I'll do everything, but assessing are you actually in that camp? Because a lot of a, a lot, and I've been guilty of it in the past as well, is of saying no, I'm all in, like, I will sacrifice absolutely everything I can to be the best and then stay up a little bit later than I should, not eat as much food as I need to, 
not be as heavy as I really should be for how high I am, for how tall I, how high I am, <laughs> how tall I am. <laughs> and those are all things that indicate that you're not really as all in as you say you are. Yeah. Um, I think as well, like for me, it's the whole like competing in an untested fed being natty. Let's talk about that. That was one of the questions that we got. Do you want to move yeah, on to... And that was kind of like the little segment bef- that I was bef- like... Bef- nah, nah, before we do that, before we do that, let's say um, I just wanted to highlight and have a little discussion around one of the areas or one of the main things or what are the main things that you love about powerlifting? Why, why do you love powerlifting and strength training? And then we'll go into that. So for me, it boils a lot down to like my my personal values and I would rather be judged on what I can do rather than what I look like. Mm-hmm. I think that's why I never gravitated towards bodybuilding or something where I'm going to be judged uh, subjectively on how I look. Whereas if I can go into a powerlifting competition, it's very much like we don't care what you look like. We don't care what your background is. We just care like, can you move away from point A to point B to meet the standards and satisfy the judges? Yes, cool, amazing, great job. You get rewarded for that. I think for me, like, and again, whether it's in the realm of powerlifting or whether it's in the the realm of just strength training, I think being able to do something really difficult and having like and developing like a a sense of joy from doing so. Um, I think that just has a really beautiful carryover into so many other aspects of life where it's like all of a sudden, like you're not scared of hard work anymore. Like you go, oh, cool, it's hard work, bring it on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has a massive carryover. And I've found that, you know, obviously in, in my own life as well. Um, I think for me, strength training, very much the same is I love with strength training in general that it it enhances your life like enhances the functionality that you have in everyday life. It makes you a better human being. It will increase your quality of life as well as the quantity of life that you have because I don't just want to live for a really long time, right? I want to live for a long time but also be able to do shit while I'm alive and not just be a vegetable. Um, I like that in powerlifting specifically, I like that it's a sport that from what I've found is extremely community based and uplifting and positive and encouraging and team focused. And we all compete as individuals, but I'm yet to, and I'm sure they're out there, but me personally, I'm yet to find a powerlifter that is like, oh, you compete in my weight class. Fuck you, man. Uh, I hope you bomb out or I hope you get injured and have a shit prep. Like everyone DMs each other. Everyone comments on each other's you know, prep posts. Everyone's like, oh man, I, like, I, I want you to do really well because I want to compete against you. And I want to, if I'm going to beat you, I want you to be at your best. Everyone wants to see everyone else hit big lifts. When you do that, everyone gets around you. And I haven't found that in other sports this is this is the one sport where i've really found 
a massive sense of community and encouragement. And the cool thing about it is if you do it properly, if you train for powerlifting properly, you're really only training. I like to say you're really only training like as a powerlifter for maybe 12 weeks leading into a competition. And outside of that, you're just strength training. Um, and there's some hypertrophy thrown in there. You know, there's some, there's some other movement variabilities thrown in there. There's some cardio thrown in there. You're going to get bigger. You're going to get stronger. You're going to look better and you're going to perform better as a result of competing and, and training in this sport properly. And I love that. Yeah. You kind of get the best of all, all worlds. Yeah, I'd agree. That, that that's that's my that's what that's why I'm so passionate about it and and as a and as an athlete that's true and also as a coach that's true I, there's literally nothing more exciting to me than taking an athlete through an off season they get to the start of their prep they're the biggest they've ever been they look the be they look the best they've ever looked they feel invincible they start a prep at the end of the prep they're extremely strong they know how to use the strength that they've built they turn up to comp day, you handle them on comp day and it's the best day they've ever had in their life. All of they hit, you know, they hit their numbers that they want, that the pressure's high, the intensity's high, and then you celebrate with them afterwards. And I just honestly, like there's, there's nothing better than that. Yeah. And, and this is the one sport that I've found that's the closest that, that I've felt of being in that team environment of rugby league where you know it's very much the same where you go through the season and you build those relationships and you you want everyone to do well and then you get in the sheds afterwards and you high five each other and you do the sportsman's butt slap and get naked in the showers and powerlifting's the closest thing I've found to that minus the nudity for the most part. Damn it. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that's valuable to add. So let's go back to how long have we been talking for? Uh, almost two hours. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, nice. let's do. Let's uh, let's jump into these Q and A's then, and then yep. we'll be able to wrap up, and that'll be pretty good. I did have a few people say, "Oh, make sure they're long because I want to listen to them on night shift." I had more than three people say that to me, so at least three people will be happy. That's all we want. Happy days. So competing as a natural in a test, an untested federation, is that, that's the question we got? So it was, I think the question from memory was like for newbies who are getting into powerlifting, how to sort of like, it was like manage expectations competing in an untested federation as a natty. What do you, what do you that's obviously So... Like, for example, like I, that's exactly how I came up through powerlifting. Like, even now when I compete, like, I still compete in an untested fed as Natty. Mm -hmm. um, I think initially it doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, I think when you first start powerlifting, it should just be about the process of get on the platform, do the thing, have fun on the day, walk away. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, my like when I competed at Pro Raw, my goal every single year was just don't come last. Mm -hmm. Good goal. Well, I'm like, one, I don't think I genuinely should have been 
on the platform with those 95 kilo men um because my like for example there were some years where like i would total like say i think my first 700 kilo total was my last pro roll that i did um and i'm pretty sure the winner of that comp in the 95s went like 875 <laughs> nice <laughs> like that's not an insignificant difference between bottom no. of the pack and top of the pack but my thing was like i'm like i'm probably one of the few if not the only drug-free competitor on this stage mm -hmm. so my thing was always like and again like this isn't to throw shade at anyone else by any stretch of imagination but it's like you know for me taking peds just never really aligned with what i wanted to get out of powerlifting um but i think for any competitor that is starting out and they're exposed to an untested federation it's like a be mindful of setting like realistic expectations like if you're going in as a as a natty lifter into an untested federation probably don't make it about winning make it about your own progression make it purely about yourself but if you're that concerned with placings and disparities between totals like just go to a tested fed yeah, there's. I think, I think there's plenty of options for both. I think nowadays as well, like with how much powerlifting has grown in Australia. Like when I started powerlifting, it was pretty much there was like GPC where I competed. There was PA, and PA was like the only tested fed. Pretty much there was yeah, like GPC, PA, and like Capo, mm -hmm. and that was pretty much the extent of your options for competing mm -hmm. now like i was like i trained at ptc south melbourne they were affiliated with um with gpc so naturally like when ptc south melbourne took a team to a comp we went to a gpc comp yep um and i was just like, like i'm just like i like squatting out of a mono i like squatting with a squat bar i like squatting in wraps i like benching with my heels up and my heels down depending on what i want to do and I like deadlifting with deadlift bar. Yep. That was just what I got exposed to from the start. I think I think a lot of, especially newer powerlifters, get fixated on the drug-free drug test or whatever it might be. Yep. But I think if most people just kind of go, what equipment do I like competing on? And where is there good competition? Like if you're actually going into powerlifting to be a competitive lifter, it's like you just go where the competition is. Like that's just regardless of whether it's tested or untested you go where the competition is because otherwise frankly like you you're getting a participation award if yeah. you're like so i think like for newbie lifters i think it's very much a matter of don't worry too much whether you're starting with a tested or an untested federation obviously make sure that you a meeting so if you're going into a tested federation like make sure you're not taking drugs um but i think if you're going into an untested federation who gives a shit yeah that would be that would be exactly my advice um i i have a few lifters that are tested or natural athletes that compete are currently competing or will be competing in gpc and untested fed um, some of them, it will be their first, um, their first actual federation meet. 
um, after doing a novice meet. And a few of them will be very likely qualifying for GPC nationals. And a couple of the few that should qualify should actually do very well in their weight class um, as a natural athlete. Um, and they're, they all know exactly what they're getting themselves in for. And my advice to new lifters would always be is if you're new, it, it really shouldn't matter if it's tested or untested unless you're an enhanced athlete, don't do the, the tested. Um, yeah. But I would just say my best advice would be is if you're a new lifter, is find a meet that's local that you want to compete at, find or that that you have friends at that's going to be a fun meet that you want to go and do with the equipment and the rules that suit you that, so that you know you're going to have fun. It's not going to be too foreign for you. If you like squatting in wraps, squat in wraps, use a federation that uses wraps. If you like a squat bar and a mono, do that. If you like walking your squats out, do that. Do that until you're in a position. And then once you have a total, work on building your total, getting better each time until you're in a position where you feel like you could be competitive. And if you're then in a position where you feel like you could be competitive in a different federation that aligns better with your status as a lifter, then look at making the switch and then maybe do some research as to where you go from there or work with your coach at that point. Mm -hmm. But I think getting started, it really shouldn't matter too much because the expectation, unless you're one of the very, very few genetically elite gifted people, you're not winning meets the very first time you compete anyway. So you're not there to win. You're there to get a total. You're there to have some fun. You're there to test yourself. And it really doesn't matter what everyone else around you is doing at that point anyway. I'd agree. And then once you become competitive, you feel like you want to test yourself against the the other lifters that are the same status as you are. I think probably at that point, have a conversation or do some research as to where you go from there. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. Cool. What are some of the other questions that we got? We'll roll through some of those and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, there was a couple of good ones, wasn't there? Yeah. Let me just have a quick, so I wrote them down. Man, two and a half hours goes so quick, or two hours goes <laughs> quick, doesn't it? Um, so I think there was the pros and cons of powerlifting, the newbie one that we just answered, slapping someone before a lift, and then the biggest challenge with athletes. I think we kind of covered, or do you want to go through a quick list of pros and cons? So just a, like a really off the top of my head, I would say... One of the pros is being able to access high levels of strength that you probably won't be able to access otherwise. But I would also say one of the cons is going into too specific of a training approach without the necessary general baseline that most people need to be able to go up into something specific. That's probably like a really quick summary off the top of my head. Is like I don't think a lot of people have the the general uh requirements needed to do a lot of the specific powerlifting stuff like a wide grip bench or wide stance squatting or like wide stance sumo whatever it might be i feel like a lot of people go i'm just gonna go straight into a powerlifting prep 
now I must wide grip bench. Now I must like really low bar squat. And then, you know, six to eight weeks down the track, they're like, why do all my joints hurt so mm. fucking much? And it's like, you can actually get strong without having those aspects flare yeah. up significantly if you've done any sort of prep work. Yeah. And those positions though can be beneficial. Yeah. Um, but I also agree that they're probably positions that you would need to work up to or have a base level that, that increases into those. So, yeah. uh, you know, for an example would be um, one of my clients has always benched with a very narrow grip. He's also a very strong bencher. He's, he has the biggest bench on our team. Um, but it's it's very, very close grip and very tricep dominant. And that works for him, but I do think that it lowers his ceiling as to what his strength could potentially be. So instead of just going, hey, bro, you now bench with your ring finger on the lines and fuck how your shoulders feel, um, we're, <laughs> we've taken the approach of one so last prep we did his main his his first bench day his main heavy bench day with the grip that he's comfortable with and his secondary bench day was one finger wider perfect and then now that he did that comp and he's into uh, a more like a general strength block with i've taken the main bench day to one finger wider and his secondary bench day is two fingers wider but a variation that significantly limits the load that he can put on the bar yeah so instead of just saying hey man bench lighter because he's competitive and i know that he won't do that <laughs> i've just put a governor on him <laughs> with the variation that i've given him is very unloadable yeah, but I've said I want you to. I, this is where I want your fingers for this one, just so that it can build tolerance through in in his shoulders in those positions. Yeah, and yeah. I think, but I think a lot of people skip that. Yeah, because it's it takes time and people are impatient. Yeah, so I think a pro would be that it exposes you to, it gives you the ability to be really strong and feel really strong and express your strength and have a sense of competition. Um, and have something to work towards. The con would be that um, if you don't do it properly, it can take a big toll on the body. It can take a big toll on the body. Um, if you're just doing like SBD till the cows come home 12 months a year, uh, you know, you might get really good at it. You might also get really fucked up within 12 months and, and end up leaving the sport. Uh, and you might not actually reach the potential that you could. So I think that, but I think the the cons really, if done correctly, I don't think there's very many cons. I think the cons come from when when it's potentially done in not the best way. I would say that's pretty much the same for any sport though. Yeah, I don't know. I think like a con for rugby league would be that like you can get CTE. And whether you do it the right way or the wrong way, that's still a con. Semantics. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think I think those are. Pro I think we're pretty much on the same page with those. I think yeah. the cons definitely outweigh 
Uh, the, the pros definitely outweigh the cons, though. I would agree as well, yeah. And I think having an intelligent approach to the way that you do things can significantly reduce the cons or reduce the severity of the cons as well. Yeah. Uh, and that might be, well, that that is, in my opinion, is if you're a powerlifter, potentially not training like a powerlifter for 12 months a year and doing some other things that will get your body moving better, get you stronger in different positions that will have you in a better position to start your prep because by the end of your prep, you're going to be very rigid. You're going to be very good at doing squatting and benching and deadlifting. That's called an off-season. <laughs> yeah, but a lot of people's off-seasons are SPD and RPE7 year-round. It's like people with but, their but boxes. But, but the RPE7 is actually RPE10 with a misgroove. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> so what was the other one? What was the other question we had there? Uh Slapping someone before a lift. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> my I thing, love a good slap. As in I doing love a good one slap. or receiving one? Giving. Yeah, same. Yeah. Um, I think like, if so, if I'm at a comp and someone's like, oh, can you slap me before this? I'm like, no. Because <laughs> if I'm going to slap someone, like, I want to fucking slap them. Like, I want to do it properly. And I don't want to like derail someone by hitting them too hard and then getting a little bit like disorientated. I, I would think... only ever slap someone before a con uh, before a lift if a I've actually trained with them in the lead up to and we've found the right placement, the right degree of intensity, like because there's, there's a slap and there's a slap. Talk about why, why, why a slap? What does a slap do? Well, I mean, realistically, it should be just something to generate some adrenaline. Yeah. So the way I look at it is to break that down even further is like a slap is going to, you know, put you. So, you usually, so usually what we do is we smell ammonia, right? Yeah. You smell ammonia. That kind of puts you in that fight or flight mode. You don't really know what's going on. You're slightly disorientated. That's the whole point of ammonia is to enact that fight or flight response. And then you get fucking whacked in the back by someone at full strength. Then there's there's no flight. Then like you're straight into fight mode. <laughs> right? And yeah. so that I, I feel like that's kind of like where we're going with that is... We, we want you in fight so that you're completely heightened for this lift, which works for some people and not so, so much. I was going to say, like, and that's why I keep coming back to, like, you know, if I haven't met the person, A, I'm probably not going to hit them very hard, and B, like, it's like if on comp day someone was like, oh, can you wrap my knees? It's like, yeah, I can, but it's probably going to feel really different to what you're used to. Mm -hmm. like i'm not going to wrap you gently like i'm going to wrap you tight and it might be too much for you yeah like you know again like i could slap someone on a comp day like I've, I've done it before but in terms of being able to give the athlete what they need on the day like it's me going in blind with absolutely no reference point whatsoever which makes it a little bit irresponsible on my end because it's like i don't know what they need or like 
or any of the variables are going to make something worthwhile at all. Yeah, and it's very lifter dependent, right? Like, it, I've it's heard- it's like changing comp day nutrition. It's like going, oh, I've had this, these meals the whole prep. I'm going to have these meals differently on the day. It's like, why the fuck would you do that? Like, just do what you've done the entire prep. Yeah, yeah. I've personally never been slapped uh, at, a, at, a, get, at a powerlifting meet. I've been slapped. I, but. Like, so when I would get, like, my knees wrapped, I would, like, have my hands on the bar and I'd get, like, a big, like, two-handed slap on my back and that was just enough for me to be like, oh, I'm going to fuck. If I wasn't hands on the bar ready to go, like, I'd probably turn around and want to fucking headbutt you. And that yeah. was kind of like, but then I was like, I'm not an aggressive lifter, so, like, getting a back up for that spike in adrenaline isn't really necessary for me yeah yeah and but for some people it works really well uh for me for me personally i i think that it would not work too well for me i have a very specific kind of weird thing that i do before i lift uh you've you've seen it anyone that's trained in the gym that i train in has seen it um it's, it has to do with a lot of ammonia um, and I don't just like sniff it a little bit. I literally like stand with it in my nose for like a good two minutes and that's the <laughs> only thing I breathe. And yeah. I have my eyes closed and I sway side to side when I do it and I call it my forest dance because um, when I'm doing that, I'm actually going through the exact same scenario in my brain and the ammonia triggers this like extremely like visceral image and storyline that I go through in my brain where I'm walk. Have you seen Harry Potter? You know how they walk through like that really dark, like scary forest. I'm walking through that dark, scary forest and a fucking massive tree demon jumps out at me. <laughs> and I have to make the decision to fight the tree demon and that's literally what I'm going through every single time in my head. I know I, the tree demon's got a name. He's got a smell. He looks the same. He says the same things to me. He knows me very well because he's a figment of my brain. And he says all of the right things to me to get me extremely heightened to where I feel like if someone slapped me, it would it would either make me actually physically fight them or it would take me out of that state that I've created for myself and probably deter from from the lift but for some people it does the exact opposite i I have lifters that are like i want you to draw blood Mm. from my back and i do yeah and and they love it and i love it and it's a good time all around love that (laughs) yeah but it doesn't work for everyone no so i I think think that's like you know again it comes back to like the art of coaching it's like know your athlete know what doesn't doesn't work well for them so when it comes to comp day there's no surprises yeah yeah so i would say i would suggest like on the slapping front if you're gonna get slapped if you're gonna do slapping i would trial it in the gym before comp day don't just rock up on comp day and be like ah fucking slap me bro it's the same with ammonia though like Again, like practice it in the lead up to comp so that when you come to comp day, it's like, yep, cool. I know I'm going to take a big sniff of ammonia. And then once I put the cap on, I put it back in the chalk bowl, then you're going to wind up and go bang, slap me really hard. Yeah. And and ideally have people around you 
at the same people around you at comp that you've had in training that know what to do with you yeah. or have maybe someone handle you on comp day that's handled you multiple times that knows how you lift, that knows how you think, all of those things. The, the more yeah. consistency, the better. Agreed. Um, I think the last question was probably my favorite question of all of them. Yeah, which is the, why I'm actually going to let you answer this one first. Which was the question exactly Biggest was... challenge with athletes. Yeah. <laughs> There's been a lot. Um, any, <laughs> any coach that says they don't have challenges with athletes is lying to you. But I think for me personally... Um, the biggest challenge that I've had to overcome as a coach with and, and coaching athletes is understanding that not everyone has the same mindset or drive or buy-in that I have. And I can't expect everyone to think the way I think, to communicate the way I communicate, to react the way that I would react to certain situations. And learning to understand that it's not my journey, I'm here to facilitate their journey and I need to be able to mirror them and their level of buy-in and I need to respect their decisions in certain situations. I can also challenge them, but I need to not expect their decisions to be exactly what my decisions would be or what my feelings would be in those certain situations. A perfect example of this would be, um, I had an athlete and he won't mind me talking about this, that bombed on squats and he was projected to do very well at this competition. He's an extremely strong athlete, a, a very, very good lifter and He's had a lot of things going on in his life outside of the gym and it, it just, on the day, it, it just didn't go to plan. And I remember texting you about it at the time and, and at the competition, I went up to the meet director and I was like, hey, mate, like this guy's obviously just, you know, didn't hit any of his squats. Do you mind if he finishes the meet? The meet director was like, oh, no, of course not. Like just, he can just continue on. In my mind, there was no question that that's what was going to happen. In, in my mind, I was like, you've gone through this whole prep. Yeah, cool, squats didn't go the way that you wanted to. And if that was me, I would just be like, fuck it, like that sucks, but that just means I'm going to pull something massive. And I'm just going to try and like, I'm just going to try and have the biggest deadlift I've ever done. And I'm going to do it in front of all of this crowd. And sure, it won't count for anything, but at least I can go drive home today knowing that it wasn't a complete failure. And I also, in my brain, I'm like, yeah, of course that's what's going to happen. I went over to, to, to the lifter and I was like, hey, man, I spoke to the meat director. He said that you can finish the meat. And he was already half undressed. He was like, nah, I'm going home. And I asked him a couple of times, I was like, are you sure? Like you could, you could do a massive deadlift. Like the deadlifts are kind of your thing. Like this is a great opportunity to go into deadlifts fresh. You could pull something outrageous. He's like, no, nah, I don't care. And everything in me wanted to be like, continue to push this and be like, no, bro, you really should do this. 
but I realized like that's that's what I would do. That's what I would if I was in that situation. That's what I would do, and I can't expect my lifters to act like me. And it turned out it was actually a really good decision because he ended up doing a quick turnaround and competing like two weeks later and got a great result. And so, had he have continued on that day, maybe he wouldn't have been in a great position to do a comp two weeks later. So I think it's just having the the biggest challenge would be putting myself in other people's shoes. And the more I do that, the more I realize that everyone's different and the brain is extremely complex and everyone thinks a little bit differently. And some people might think the same in some situations as you, and in a different situation, they see it completely differently. And just understanding that it's not our job to impose our way of doing things or our way of thinking onto our lifters. It's our job to facilitate their journey. Yeah. What about you? Uh, mine is very similar to that. And I was actually having this conversation a little bit earlier today with a friend and I was saying, or she asked me like, you know, what is one thing you, you love and you hate about your job? And I'm like, the one thing that I find challenging is letting clients and athletes make mistakes. Like I, like, for example, like I'm, you know, I've had clients that have, whether it's been in a competition setting or whether it's just been in like a general gym setting, um, being like, oh, like this is my plan for today based off like what you've given me to do. What do you think? And I'm like, well, my, if it was me, I wouldn't do it that way. But I'm like, at the end of the day, like you're an adult, you kind of need to take a bit of responsibility for yourself as a lifter. And that's, I feel like an aspect I try and, encourages a little bit of autonomy like autonomy when it comes to like okay like i've said like i want a triple at this weight but if you do it in that way you're like oh that was like a piece of piss and you decide to go heavier like i want my athletes to be able to go where am i relative in this block where am i relative to my comp do i have room to push here or do i need to be a little bit conservative because of what we've got coming up in the next couple of weeks um like I've got one client in particular, like her and I've been working together for oh, be around 18 months or so now. Mm -hmm. And we got into a really good group where it's like, I give her, I'm like, cool, this is the framework that I kind of want you to work in. Go and do the work. Mm -hmm. And I give her that, um, that sort of like that freedom and that responsibility because we've kind of got into a point where there's a really nice balance between give and take. Mm -hmm. But when I feel like you're working with an athlete and you haven't gotten to that point where there's give and take and you're kind of like, well, you've come to me for my expertise to help guide you through this process. You're wanting to go down this avenue here because of your past experience, past coaching experiences, whatever it might be. But I'm saying that that path is something you're familiar with and just leads you to where you want to go. Maybe we should try this path over here. This is a little bit less, less explored, but based on my my expertise and my coaching like principles, I know that that's going to end us up in the position that we want to be. Mm -hmm. And I think like a really good example is like with one of the athletes that I used to work with, and also I think you know the situation I'm going to be talking about, is for the final deadlift for their nationals prep, I'm like, I don't want a PB. I'm like, this is the number that I want. And then what happened was, as we spoke about earlier in, in the discussion today, was they hit that heavy single, they adapted, and they they pulled for a national title and won. Mm -hmm. 
on their third attempt, I can't. Like, that's at, what we want. Yeah, at a weight that had never even been touched. Yeah, and it's like, it, like that is a perfect example where it's like, there are times when I'm going to be like really definitive and go, no, 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 this is what I want. But then there are other times I'm going to be like, these are your boundaries. Work yep. within the boundaries. And if you overstep the boundary and you fuck up, that's when I'm going to pull you back in. And then I'm going to give you a little bit less boundary the next time. Yep. And this is kind of where it does become a matter of like adapting it to the client. There are going to be some clients where it's like, these are your boundaries. And someone works in this tiny little thing. It's like, cool, I need you more boundaries because you only work in this little minute area. But if you give someone this many, like this much boundary and they jump out here, it's like, no, 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 no. Like you come back in the boundary. Like you haven't earned that far yet. Yeah. And I guess that's, I like to say that coaching is kind of a, a living organism that evolves between coach and client, you know, throughout yeah. the, the lifetime of that relationship. And it might, it, you know, each relationship might start at a very similar point. Um, but very quickly, um, each coach-client relationship takes its own path because it it evolves um, with each of those give-and-take um, scenarios that you just described. Yeah, and this is where as well, like, I think because the interaction that, like, you know, you and I have an interaction that is specific to you and I. I have an interaction with someone else that's completely unique to that person and myself each interaction is going to be unique. So the approach that like, as much as, you know, we may have our principles as coaches that we're like, yeah, these are the principles that we like to work with. At the end of the day, the approach is going to be unique to that one person. I think when you get coaches that are really good at marketing themselves and going, Oh, well, this is, this is my approach. And this is the same approach for every single person. I think it's like, especially when you get those people that are very good at marketing, um, when like you and I are like, oh, well, no, we are going to take a little bit more of an individualized approach. We are going to take a little bit more of a, you know, a unique approach to you as an individual. While we may follow certain principles, we are going to be a, be mindful that we are working with this individual and this individual is slightly different to everyone else and we need to accommodate for that. Um, yeah, I think and from a, marketing, from a marketing perspective, that doesn't sound as sexy as saying this is the only way to do things and this is like what this i is big dick energy bench press style like and that appeals to a lot of people right i know it does a lot of people are going to look at that and be like man i want big dick energy bench and and someone saying we're going to take an individualized approach and we're going to see where you're at and we're going to make minor tweaks along the way until we end up at a point that's really advantageous for you as an individual probably doesn't sound as good and certainly isn't as marketable and it, and it doesn't, but and this I think this is the the challenge is like like sort of we're coming back to like the whole challenge with like with athletes. I think it's getting people to understand that like yes, my job is to guide them on the process, but their process is going to be very different to everyone else's. Yeah, I just I just thought of another um, another challenge that I had really early on, actually that I think's um, valuable is. When I, when I first started to learn about, you know, this, you know, certain things that you needed to do and positions that you needed to be in and, and what a good squat looked like and what a good bench looked like and what a good deadlift looked like. And when I started to trial these things for myself and have success, and as I got better at 
looking at clients and identifying issues that I can see in their lifts that, that you know, you can just look at a lift and it, you can see six different things that could be fixed to make it a little bit better is not just like blurting those six things out straight away and overwhelming the athlete. And then they're like, oh shit, like uh, now I've got six things to work on. That means my squat looks like shit and I can't think of these six different things all at once. So now I have to take heaps of weight off the bar and now I forget to like actually stand up with any type of like, you know, velocity because all I'm thinking about is like what my position looks like and my squat goes to shit and they ended up going backwards. Whereas, you know, the approach that I take now with a little bit more wisdom and a little bit more experience and time under my belt is you turn the big rocks first, you you ingrain those, you get those things fixed and you maybe pick one thing at a time and you spend a little time fixing that and then you pick the next thing and then you fix that and you don't use so much cueing but more so just like exercise selection to put people in the positions that you want, get them to feel what you want them to feel and then attach that feeling to a cue so then when you say, this is what I want you to, f- I want you to do this, they associate those words with the feeling that they felt and that becomes a lot easier, but you're not doing six things at once. But that was a big thing uh, in my younger years was just saying like, how does this squat look, Nick? Oh, look, here's 10 things that you need to fix next time you squat. Otherwise it's shit. And yeah, that's definitely not a good thing to do. I, I don't think. I would agree because it's, it's confusing and they can't pick one thing to focus on. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that was, that was, that was, that was an early on challenge that I had and it, it stemmed from a place of like, I really want to help these people and they really do yeah. need, they really do need to fix these 10 things, but they probably don't need to fix them all at once. No, that was, that was one that I learned um, a little while ago. Um, cool. Do you want to wrap it up there? Oh. All right, okay, so it's nearly two and a half hours of talking shit. Cool, we'll wrap it up there. And then that just that leaves us with still got a few more questions that I know people ask that we can add into the next one. And yeah, I want I want to talk a little bit about um like some other stuff outside of lifting as well that we're interested in and and how that kind of ties in to to us as people and how we look at how we look at the world and how we how we do our jobs as well. Cause I think it, you know, it all kind of ties into one at the end of the day. Um, yeah. But we can leave that for the next one. We'll be doing plenty. I more. think it's a good idea. Cool. So we're going to try and do one a week. I'm going to try and get this one out uh, next week, which will be the first week of January. And then uh, Ben and I's goal that we have challenged each other to is to do 52 episodes in 2024. So one a As week. A as a minimum, one a week for the whole of 2024. And uh, it should be fun. So I appreciate everyone for listening. Ben, um, for anyone that's listening that doesn't follow you on Instagram, where should they follow you? Uh, Just at Ben Max or B-E-N-M-A-C-H. That's the best place to catch me at. Cool. And are you taking clients on for January? Yes, I will have uh, a few openings for competition clients and I'll probably have 
more opening for uh, face-to-face clients, whether they be for competition or just for general general training. Cool. And then uh, you can find me at AKA Big Nick with no K and I C. And I that's on Instagram. And we, my business, Anti Lifestyle and Performance is taking on strength clients, both for powerlifting on the internet, online coaching, and also in person at Hunter Strength and Performance in Newcastle. Um, and I have a few spaces for general strength and conditioning, and I have a few spaces for um, contact sports athletes as well, like rugby league, rugby union, etc. Um, and we're also taking nutrition clients for uh, athletes only for nutrition. So that's powerlifters, crossfitters, and uh, sports athletes of any kind, predominantly powerlifters though for nutrition at this point. Um, M's getting pretty booked out. Um, you can find M at M Fit Foods or NZ Lifestyle and Performance. Cool. Beautiful. Thanks, thanks man. We'll wrap it up here. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll be back next week. See you guys.